host, Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. It's a great honor to have you on the show tonight. Welcome, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. Yes, this is Uri. Hi, Uri. It's Nicole Whitney calling News for the Soul. Welcome to News for the Soul, Robert Allen. Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you tonight. Why are you here? We're talking to Carolyn Mace about Sacred Contracts, one of her many best-selling books. Welcome to the show, Greg Braden. Well, good evening, Nicole. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to hear your voice and a pleasure to be here tonight. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we're live now with Indigenous People's Perspectives with Diane Hill. Let's bring her on to reintroduce herself, her show, her guest, and what's up for today. Welcome back, Diane. Thanks, Nicole. So today, for my show, Indigenous People's Perspective, um, I've invited Doug George. He's from the Ojibwe Nation at the Kettle and Stony Point First Nation here in Ontario. He's a Lynx clan member of that Ojibwe band, and he's recently gotten a new position. And in his new position, which he's going to tell us a little bit more about, um, they had the opportunity to do a special honoring uh, on September 30th, which was the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. So I thought it was a good topic that we should cover and take a look at different perspectives and the perspectives certainly that Doug brings uh, on truth and reconciliation. And so I'm inviting back today, Doug George. Oh, thank you, Diane. Hello, Doug. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Thank you. Okay. okay. Hello, Doug. Hello. Okay. I haven't been able to hear you. Okay. Can, can you hear so me Doug, now? Yes, we yeah. can hear you now. <laughs> so, Doug, can you tell us what your new what your new job is and where are you located now? Oh yes, I've um, I was uh, I'm I'm now in the city of Sarnia. I work for the Blue Water Health Hospital, and I am the Indigenous Relations and Navigator Coordinator for the hospital. Wow, that's a mouthful. That's a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. a big title. So, so how does that work? That your 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 new position? How does it segue or connect to the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation? Uh, yes. Uh, well, with uh, with kind of role here in a hospital, one of the mandates is to implement the rec- some of the recommendations um, of the. Um, National Truth and Reconciliation Commission report came out um, um, a while back. And so my position is linked right up to um, I, I, I um, meet with the CEO. I meet with uh, the managers throughout the hospital. And um, also I, I interact with a lot of our, um, our um, Anishinaabe people or our Indigenous people coming through the doors. Um, I provide, I do some navigation work also, like um, 
um, in the mental health or do coverage for the, our other Indigenous uh, navigators that work in the system here um, on uh, residential withdrawal management and also with our general medicine unit and, uh, um, you know, like throughout the hospital. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So for me, it's um, it's uh, been a big learning curve here working in a system other than it that's not indigenous you know like it's just it's a large system it's a large uh, business but it's not indigenous and so it's uh, uh, a lot of the training and going through the policies and the procedures and uh, watching the everyday interaction on how people uh, treat indigenous people coming into the hospital for care Okay, so so this sounds like uh, a hospital initiative that that took action, we'll say, in response to um, that that National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, which was um, the federal government put it into action on September 30th, and so the other name for that day was called Orange Shirt Day, and I remember Orange Shirt Day was uh, some uh, was the experience and of a Phyllis Webstad, I believe is her name, and she is, was a, is a Shuswap native person from the Canoe Creek Indian Band in British Columbia. And Phyllis told her story about um, being excited to go to school back in her, when she was younger in her early days and wearing and purchasing a yellow, an orange shirt, take, going to school because she wanted her first day of school. You know, everybody gets new clothes. Everybody look, wants to look nice on their first day of school. And she remember reporting to the residential school in her area, and they said they stripped her of her orange shirt, and she never saw it again. And so orange shirt became the emblem or the representation of survivors of residential school system. And, it, and the orange shirt also became, um, you know, a symbol of Phyllis's story uh, for which she's traveled and she's told and talked to people about it because she was bringing awareness and education to people across Canada about the treatment of, of First Nations people, of, of Native Indian children who are going to these residential schools and many of them not coming home. Many of them are not, you know, not, and not surviving uh, but also that, you know, they took it one step further, I believe, with the federal government honored um, and acknowledged, right, through a couple of commissions and inquiries and looking into the impact of Indian residential schools on Native people. And that's that report, I think, that you're talking about, um, which was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which eventually, I think, the culmination of all these, all these uh, activities led to the uh, establishment of the September 30th National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. So that, so that day happened this past Saturday. And I'm just wondering um, if the hospital put that, your job created your position in response to a call for action um, for, the, for the betterment of treatment or better, to better treatment or better treat Native people, like, how do you see that? What is your perspective on that? Oh, uh, yeah, well, it's a, I think it was a, a really, um, prior prior to me being here, there was uh, another individual, Nikki George, who was really responsible for the pioneering the project because 
um, it was never it was never in the hospital prior to that. But the hospital did create out of its own funds a position for the Indigenous Patient Navigator, and that was in response to the Truth and Re- Reconciliation Report, and also um, a recognition that there's still a lot of um, racism, um, uh, things that they could do internally within the hospital or Indigenous people. Uh, that are coming through the door. So I use indigenous because that's that's the buzzword that they're using nowadays. But you know, like in, for me, I just say all our all our Anishinaabe relatives that are coming through the door, um, they they recognize that they were that they um, were still um, having feelings and issues and and um, fears about coming into the hospital, and we still recognize that there's stats that that are out there that are published across Canada, which shows that Indigenous people have the higher higher incidences of uh, sickness and chronic illness and family violence and, uh, you know, like uh, all kinds of issues, uh, touching on maternal child and health care, um, education, you know, right across the board. And so the hospital took the initiative to hire an Indigenous patient navigator um, uh, to help with implement some of those um, uh, truth and reconciliation recommendations. However, her role became so quickly taxed because of all the business and um, and and the requirements required from Indigenous patient navigators. So, really, in, uh, Indigenous patient navigators are quite worked in the hospital because they're running from here to there, and they still have to do all of the requirements for re- reporting. And um, and reviewing policies and sitting on various committees and um, and then there's also the poll of uh, participation on committees with uh, um, some of the communities outside the hospital, particularly uh, in, uh, First Nations communities and some of the friendship centers within the urban centers and uh, any other any other um, organizations you know like that are looking for Indigenous representation. But you'll find that with any organization where they have Indigenous people, but uh, more so within the hospital setting because it's, uh, it's almost like people take that as a given, participate on all these particular uh, uh, committees. But um, I think the Indigenous patient navigators throughout Southwest Ontario, you'll find them in all of the major hospitals from Windsor to London, uh, Sarnia here uh, and um, right across through the uh, Toronto area. And I think if you went and asked them, they're all really taxed for time and resources. And uh, and there's just not enough people to go around. And it's so when I'm, when I'm coming through to the hospital here, I look around and, you know, like they're quite proud of uh, what they've accomplished so far. And I look around and I tell them, well, that's a nice start. <laughs> you know, like it's a nice beginning. <laughs> Kind of thing, right? Because uh, you know, there's always potential for more, and right. uh, and and to and there's always potential to uh, create bigger, stronger bridges. I think towards indigenous communities and uh, and um, um, many other things that we have to take a look at. But it's uh, just impossible for one single person to drive that all within the system, or the great system. I think I guess you would call it the medical system. And make uh, take uh, substantial differences. Uh, so it takes uh, teamwork, kind of thing. And I think that's only now starting to happen, where the patient navigators within the roles in the hospitals are starting to come together um, and talking about various uh, issues and streams and sharing sharing uh, information um, uh, within their systems. 
So one of the uh, linkages that Indigenous navigators are able to make within the hospitals now is the inclusion um, of um, the um, equity, uh, diversity, inclusion, and they added another I on there for indigeneity. So equity, diversity, inclusion, and indigeneity now is what it is, E-D-I-I. And so that's where we're able to interact with other who are marginalized or oppressed within the system itself, such as uh, such as uh, LGBTQ2+. Uh, you've also got um, um, uh, people of color, you know, people, immigrants from other countries, you know, like that are coming into the system, and a lot of them face uh, their own marginalization, racism, et cetera. So um, I think the advantage of that was that the Indigenous uh, navigation orders internally would have um, allies or uh, potential to create allies to combat some of these issues that are in the hospital. So that racism is not only, is, you know, like it's, it also comes externally outside from, you know, people coming in the hospital. Um, so we've had uh, uh, reports where um, uh, people of color who are working as nurses, say, went to go help somebody and they didn't want to see them because they were, um, because they were black or they were Hispanic or um, they were, we've even had um, um, our patient navigators go in uh, to people who thought they were the, they were the, the referral thought they were indigenous, but they weren't, and they said they didn't want um, an Indian looking after them, those types of things. So, so racism still is there, and it still exists. And, uh, and uh, so they tried to combat that within the organization itself. Um, um, everybody knows that racism is still, you know, like under the table sometimes, you know, like in, uh, in uh, you know, like in the, uh, Within okay. the, coming in from the public, um, some some of them are a little bit more open about their racism <laughs> kind of thing. So it's not so bad here in Sarnia. We do know it exists, though. Well, it's not that bad as, as uh, it appears to be in some other districts across Ontario, though. So, uh, so, so, I so you're you're challenged with providing services for for Native people, right? First Nations people. And you're okay. also in, you're now been expanded to provide service for people of other marginalized groups, people of color, LGBTQ2S plus. Um, you're, is that what I heard you say? So you're challenged to provide these no. services. No, no, it's no, it's not. We're not providing services specifically to that, but we're aligning the services um, so that uh, we we're we're aligning in, into. Um, equity, diversity, inclusion, and we were able to accommodate uh, an, uh, an addition to that, indigeneity. So where that opens up, you know, like um, the uh, role of um, Indigenous navigation services to provide uh, education and help and experience with other marginalized groups within the hospital, which includes employees, oh. et cetera, yes. And in turn, oh, okay. in turn, yeah, in turn, they're you know like they're linking up with uh, our group as, as uh, you know like experts in the field also. Yeah, because there would be prejudice against all of the groups, eh? Against against yes. and racism that you would be encountering with all groups, like people representatives of each one of those groups you identified. I would assume that that they too would be experiencing racism in hospital services and 
you know, this this kind of um, thing happening. Um, and so now you, you can kind of compare notes and you can kind of maybe form some alliance and, and get education out further or what, how is that working? Uh, yeah, like I said, these are all really relatively new initiatives. So, uh, so with the EDII um, group, um, you know, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, Indigeneity group, um, that's relatively new. Um, so it's it's bringing all these groups together in partnership internally, but also also we have people from other hospitals who are now linking in and wanting to um, also share information and, and you know, like form groups with each other so that they could share some of the um, information they have, but also to, to be able to, um, I guess, just unburden themselves with some of the issues they have within the hospitals themselves. I'm fortunate to be working in a very supportive hospital who is very yes. open to creating, uh, to creating change although they yeah. know that there's resistance within the hospital itself to change and mm-hmm. uh but other 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 uh, workers in other hospitals are having to do a lot more work because um they're having to uh convince their leadership and their managers that the change is for the better kind of thing right so because uh um um there's various reasons for that you know because the hospitals of course are always of this big business kind of thing. So people are thinking differently. They're not thinking in terms of uh, 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 impacts of residential school or they're not thinking in terms of healing and wellness. They're thinking in terms of dollars and cents and, you know, like on what impact any of these changes are going to have to their organization. Uh, Yeah. So I hope that makes sense to everybody. Yeah. So, 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 like you said, it's a start, right? It's a, it's yeah. a start, but they're still looking at it from the dollars and cents point of view, as opposed to the, the healing. Um, I think the truth part of it would have been out and said that everybody are, is in agreement that there was a travesty and a, a terrible thing that happened when Native people were sent to residential school and it's created all these health problems now, intergenerational stress and intergenerational health problems. I think the hospital administration is aware of that aspect of it in terms of the truth, but I think it's a little bit difficult yet and a little bit foggy in terms of how people are kind of moving forward and looking at, well, what does that mean? How do we reconcile those issues? And where, what is our part to play in those issues? Um, because rather than looking at it as healing, let's look at strategies that we can do to heal the relationship between Native and non-Native people. But but you're saying that there's a dollar and cents kind of cloak that gets put over top of, of that those strategies, right? It could be more about healing and and reconciliation, but but they're all worried about the dollars and cents. It's kind of how I heard you. It's kind of how I'm looking at it. That that in well, general speaking, not about just your hospital, but in general. Yeah, in general, um, I well just just working within the hospital system myself, I'm 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 learning lots. <laughs> so I'm learning that some yeah. hospitals have have far more funding than others 
uh, okay. kind of thing, right? And so, um, um, and so, some hospitals do have the capability of creating more, more uh, positions, you know, like internally within their systems. Uh, um, but also they don't have really, you know, like the, the, the backup that they need from the provincial or the federal government to also, you know, like add to some of those, um, to some of the funding that's required for healthcare for Indigenous people um, with, uh, you know, like with our healing. We still have, um, um, you know, like we, we still have um, the Ontario Health West. Uh, group in Ontario who's still aligning themselves and trying to figure out how they're going to operate internally themselves. They just now recently hired um, some Indigenous uh, people, some Nishnabed people to um, in their in uh, their manager roles um, at the Ontario Health West, and so they're trying to figure out how they're going to be able to support both the you know, like the First Nations communities off reserve membership and also um, hospitals. So they don't have that that, that um, line. So there's lots of meetings yet to come uh, with regards to this. And uh, so trying to figure this out, like I said, is really relatively new. There were um, 94 calls to action um, through the Truth and Reconciliation Report. And so many of those calls to calls to action were centered around um, um, justice uh, the justice system and education um, child and youth and um, so health care uh, you'll see that health care was um, um, in in the truth and reconciliation port but uh, probably not as many um, calls to action as were some of the other categories that were out there Right. So, so the, yeah, so the so house can only just hire people to represent them as an as their the hospital's initiative in good faith and goodwill is to be able to say we hired someone to handle to interface with and to provide service to native people is is but yeah. you're also so saying but you're also saying that you also have to provide service and education in terms of the staff of hospitals as well, right? So there's a, I'm kind of getting this picture of, a, you know, this big, this big system, as you call it, but there's so much work that has to be done in terms of even educating people about what a, what a, um, what a service would look like and how we would adjust it, and how we would change our services to Native people. That's right. So, uh, if you if you um, if you were to just take a look at some of the calls to action relating to health services for Indigenous people, um, you'll see that there was uh, number one as uh, the, an acknowledgement that the current state of um, Indigenous people is a direct result of the of the gov- government policies, right? And to recognize and implement healthcare rights identified in uh, across in, in international law, constitu- constitutional law, and within our original treaty documents that we had created, our ancestors created. Um, they also talked about establishing measurable goals to identify and close the gaps in healthcare outcomes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, a lot of those are related to um, the. Um, 
uh, uh, you know, like some of the issues that are that really are what do you call them? The social determinants of health is the word that a lot of people use. But it's it's just the things that we struggle with, you know, in order to in order to keep alive within First Nations communities. So you're looking at uh, you're looking at health issues. Uh, uh, how many people have boil water advisories? I just in Kettle Point, we just came out of a boil water advisory yesterday, and that yeah. was for one week. <laughs> you know, like this is Southwest Ontario. Um, also. You know, like you have um, you have um, people uh, the co- the cost of food, and you have people on fixed incomes. You know, trying to make uh, um, a, a go at it for a month, one month at a time. You know, like trying to store up enough food to feed their families for a whole month at a time. Um, infant mortality rates rates are up. Uh, suicide rates are up. Mental health issues are up. Uh, uh, a big one that everybody's trying to figure out how to deal with too within our communities is is uh, uh, addictions and the mm-hmm. and, oh, opioid uh, crisis. Opioid crisis that comes along with that. Um, so so there's That's all huge. those things. So it, it, yes, it is. It's, it's recognizing all those gaps in care and you know like and 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 co- coming up with uh, how you know, like how do we close those gaps, right? And is that your so job? No, it's not my job? job, but it's no, it's not my job, but it's these are issues that come up at the meetings that I sit at, you see. Uh-huh. And so right. that is where the reconciliation process comes in. So we identify identify those gaps, but quite often those gaps, conversations about health healthcare gaps are centered around people in general and not specifically specifically to indigenous people. So, you know, like which uh-huh. is problematic. Yeah, that, uh, then, that's yeah. like muddying the water. That's like saying, well, you, you guys have this these gaps, but so do these groups too. So the impression I got was let's let's lump it all together and try and devise some kind of um, solution to to close the gaps. And it sounds like that's really not happening. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the the uh, funding arrangements, which cause a lot of disparity for Indigenous people across Ontario. If you're status Indian, non-status Indian, um, that determines what you qualify for. Um, if you're on reserve or off reserve, that determines what you qualify for. If you're Métis, that's going to determine another category. You know, so so um, so that's all where of the these, numbers uh, come in. Yeah, that's where all the numbers come in. So, um, so this causes the huge gaps for service for Indigenous people um, that are coming into the program, and quite often we find ourselves trying to find uh, referral sources for people who require, you know, like extra help uh, because uh, uh, hospitals can't keep people very long eh, anymore. Not like yeah. not yeah. like the old days where you could you could spend a lot of time in here. You know, like they. Um, they're just the way things are right now. You know, like they've got categories where they have to kind of move you in and move you out as as quickly as possible. Um, right. So, there's, so yeah, there's also so native people could still get lost in the cracks between you know services if they have to be in and out, and they and so and so that's sort of like the blanket way that they do business, right? That the hospital does business and provides service. So so that that again, there again, it might not consider the actual um needs of First Nations people 
if you have to, if you're in a critical care position, you have to stay longer. Is there any, is there any, um, what consideration given to to that, or is it still just like the hospital's policy? And so, um, yeah, we're aware that you might need longer time, but you still that here's the policy because we have to move people in and out. Yeah, no, they they would they would give consideration, but they would uh, be under pressure to try to find, you know, like um, uh, referral sources for uh, people. Uh, elderly people are particularly vulnerable in that regard, eh? Because yeah, because they because uh, quite often, you know, like they might not have any family members uh, there, uh, yeah. and then resources resources within the community are already limited. Um, sometimes they have. They do have families, but families are just not in the position or may not want to look after their elderly family members anymore. Yes. So even our, yes. even our mm-hmm. value systems have changed now. Um, and so this puts a um, um, uh, particular uh, strain on uh, those particular people because then it, I don't know if you recall a few years ago where the province of Ontario were sending uh, uh, residents uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, they were sending residents um, far, like miles away from their home communities. Uh, not just mm-hmm. not just Indigenous people, but that was just uh, elderly people in general. Kind of in general, yeah. Yeah, caused a lot of confusion for them because they were miles and miles away from home, and they didn't have, you know, people couldn't just uh, uh, travel that distance to visit their their uh, people, right? Uh, yes, so, so I, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's still there's still the huge gaps. What I hear you saying is that there's still a huge gaps in service and and so you can't even you can't even get to any other issues around reconciliation when people are struggling just to fulfill and provide service. And yeah. so you can't even really get to them to the any other conversation. It sounds like no. that's kind of the picture. No. So, so right now, you know, like all I could do is I could just really focus internally within the hospital system itself. Um, I don't yeah. have the funding. I don't have the funding or we don't have the resources to provide outpatient services from the hospital. And, of course, yeah. you, know, like that, you know, like the First Nations are looking for outpatient services from the hospital, but we can't provide it because yeah. we don't have the funding. <laughs> you know, right. so it's, it's just this never-ending cycle. But so wow, in my role, that's what incredibly I, frustrating. <laughs> it would be frustrating to you. Wow. Yeah. In my role, though, it, within the hospital, is I can look for those people within the system who uh, here in Sarnia, anyways, who can affect change and mm-hmm. uh, to record. So and and so some of those things is. You know, some of the things, you know, like the issues right at hand that you really want to deal with, I guess, is, uh, you know, like uh, 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 racism, um, yeah. unconscious bias. Um, yes. This is a this is, unconscious bias is, uh, is a, um, a relatively new word to non-Indigenous people. Indigenous people understand unconscious bias. But, uh, <laughs> well, we're the recipients people. of the unconscious. <laughs> we're we're the recipients of unconscious bias, but how do they see it, <laughs> or do yeah, they see so, it? So, no, I did have a I did have some feedback once, you know, like and so uh, one of the one of the individuals, like my coworker now, has uh, stated, well, how do I know I'm holding unconscious bias if I don't know if it's not conscious? 
So they're yeah. thinking more. They're, they're not thinking. They're not thinking holistically about it. They're thinking rationally about it, right? So to them, to them, I can't see. I can't see unconsciousness. So therefore, it doesn't exist uh, because yeah. that's just the way the science, science uh, the science, scientist practitioner model is. Is that is that you have to prove it, kind of thing, right? In order for it to exist, and that's why they do research, right? So, so this is the challenge of the um, this is the challenge of the truth and reconciliation report is that uh, is one of those things is to get those uh, uh, movers and shakers within the hospital system itself to get the others to recognize the value of Aboriginal or Indigenous healing practices uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and to use them in part of their treatment, which would also include you know, like. Uh, up to making referrals to indigenous healers, right? And uh, right. so, what, of course, uh, I'm not too sure if you ever had experience in working with doctors uh, generally, in like out in Canada. So um, we get our feedback. I've been watching the feedback from new indigenous doctors coming into the system. So we don't have any. We don't. We have no indigenous doctors. I don't believe working for Blue Water Health. However, there are indigenous, young indigenous doctors who have come out of uh, medical school. Uh, they started medical school with the idea or the concept that I'm going to go learn to be, a do- to be a doctor and I'm going to value my indigeneity, my culture, and my own healing practices, which I'm familiar with already, and I'm going to combine that for the betterment of indigenous people. And so what they're finding is that right in, as soon as they're getting medical school, they're facing the challenges already with regards to uh, stepping outside of the box, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and it's a very strong culturally defined box, and it takes a lot of energy to try to to shift that box around or add anything in it. And that's usually grounded within what we what you would call a structural bias that's just a, mm-hmm. a gentler word a gentler word to use other than structural racism <laughs> uh, <with laughs> so structural yeah i agree because they would really be be keeping that individual in the context of their westernized training right they would say this is the way that medicine is done, and it would take a really strong native person to be able to keep, like, to keep that split, right? To, to be able to say, well, here's what my culture says, what what healthcare is like, but they're in the training program in the university that's saying this is how it is, and so the cultural conditioning is really quite strong, and and it, and and I could see how a lot of native native professionals would lose themselves in that system. And then, you know, because the system will say, this is how we do business. This is how medicine is practiced. This is how it's being done, right? And you'll have to practice it my way if you're going to receive this credential. And if you get too close, if you get too, if you get yeah. too close, uh, make them feel uncomfortable, then the then legalities start coming forward then. You see, um, it's like uh, the legalities against their profession. But also, this is the difference between uh, implicit bias or implicit implicit racism, where somebody somebody don't like you because you're, you know, like you're an Indian. They're going to tell you I don't like you because you're an Indian. <laughs> That's yeah. implicit. They're just going to come right out yeah. and say it. 
but yeah. with uh, structural bias or structural racism, uh, the difference is they're cognizant, they're aware, they're aware they're of the differences and they're aware of the actions, um, but there is no, there is no uh, violent or violent treatment there's coming no, out of that. There's, yeah. yeah. There's no will. There's no will on yeah. their part to yeah, to, to accommodate. Yeah. They lack the willingness. They not there's no will on their part to say, Yeah, I'm aware of the differences and yeah, I'm aware what what, what native people are saying. But this is how it's gonna go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's correct. So so <laughs> So, so far, you know, like, uh, um, hats off to all the Indigenous, uh, the indigenous uh, navigators across Ontario who have been able to make some changes, you know, like, uh, and I always say, oh, that, that's my word. I always say, oh, it's nice. It's a nice beginning. You know, that's a good start. <laughs> you know, but yeah. you know, like we, have so much, we have so much more to do because Indigenous healing uh, ceremonies um, in terms of health care, uh, Healing, wellness, and spirituality are so much more than just smudging. Uh, so smudging is very important. It helps. It calms people down. It relaxes people within the system. They're able to do that, which most hospitals are now accommodating. Um, right. So to be able to that's do that. That's one measure. But, uh, yeah. That's one measure, yes. But there are so many other things that uh, that can be done. So, for example, in Indigenous medicine, um, you know, versus, you know, like some of the uh, other medicines, you know, like maybe that you would get over the counter. Um, I think um, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done also internally within their own groups, within the First Nations, at the First Nations level, on reserve, off reserve with uh, with people um, in right. terms of what, the, what does what does healing and wellness mean? Uh, what does reconciliation mean? Um here at the hospital, um, I think at any hospital you go to, you're going to see a lot of uh, play out of, of um, prejudices, um, um, feelings from Indigenous people coming in, fears, you know what I mean? You know, like all the, the hurts and traumas they got, you're going to see that play out in the emergency department um, in critical care unit within the hospital because uh, uh, because uh, 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 tensions are already high. And so right. when you bring people in, you know, like, and everybody's tense, you know, like uh, people just don't have time to be sitting down and being nice to <laughs> <Yeah, I see laughs> each other, thing, right? Uh, yeah. Because, because there, there's so much stress and there's so much work to be done, right? But yet, you know, like yeah. our, our people are coming through the door and, there's on on one hand they're justified in being afraid because of all the historical trauma they you know like they've come through eh? yeah and yeah. so 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 and and of course you know like there are going to be they are going to meet up with uh, racist people uh, uh, occasionally you know, like within the system itself which could be an impediment to their health care uh, and as we can see with some of the uh, things that happened to um, the well, the Eshquan case in Quebec, and also um, over in Manitoba, and also re- more recently close to home in uh, in uh, near Niagara on the lake, we've seen the death mm-hmm. of uh, Indigenous people right in the uh, emergency care because somebody thought thought 
they were coming in for some other issue or somebody made an assumption on their part about why they're there and uh, they were just sort of forgotten about and not checked on, et cetera, you know, for various reasons, right? And so these are uh, – some of those situations are are, are a result as, as – uh, with the Eshaquan case in Quebec, that's direct. That's that's uh, that's uh, a direct racism. Um, yeah. You know, what like happened there? Evidence. Can you? What so, happened there? Can uh, you? Can on that well, case I, in I, Quebec? Can you share that? Well, if I re- I don't have all the particulars, but if I recall, um, um, uh, the patient was in the hospital for um, for. Um, pain that she was having um, but when she in she was in the operating room and she was talking about the pain that she was having but the nurses were making uh, derogatory remarks about her uh, um, you know like telling her to settle down and they were they were talking to each other saying saying you know like oh she must be you know like uh, drunk or something like that you yes. know, like, must, okay you yeah, know, yeah. These, these, these types of things right then so and so, although she she had her she had herself she had a medical condition, and, yeah, she had a serious yeah, and she medical rec- condition, yeah, yeah, and she but, couldn't talk, and they thought she was drunk, right. and then that's but right. she and taped she, it, right? Now I remember. Yeah, she had her yeah she had her cell phone. And she was able to tape the conversation, and that's where the evidence came through. And uh, had she not had that tape, uh, she probably they probably would have you know like it would have probably. Um, being uh, marked down as, uh, you know, like um, um, that she passed away and like from whatever the medical condition she had, eh? Uh, and same with the uh, gentleman, you know, like in, I can't remember his name, but the um, the one in the uh, hospitals in Manitoba, he, he had a serious di- diabetes issue and uh, they pushed him in the, the chair and they left him in the emergency department uh, uh, for hours and hours, and they have uh, camera footage showing people walking back and forth. Nobody was engaging with him. Nobody checked on, on him. It was not until the next morning where they went to go and uh, uh, check on him, and he was already passed away from his condition that he had. So these are like a, uh, you know, like a comorbid decisions, or they, you know, like quite often they have other issues other than what they come into the emergency room for kind of thing. And, uh, and the case that was over in Niagara on the Lake area, um, I think uh, Six Nations um, uh, is quite involved in that particular case. But that was uh, that was a, a young lady who came into the emergency department, and uh, somebody put a note on her file, which they think may have, um, 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 imp- you know, like implanted. Uh, a thought pattern with other service providers that she was just there uh, looking for maybe, you know, like drugs or et cetera kind of thing, right? And, uh, yeah, so and she then wasn't she sent home? Yeah, she was sent home, and then she they, she she came back again, and uh, she did end up passing away also. So that's very recent. In the, I think the re- in the emergency room? Yes, I, and, I, and I think that's very, very recent, and... Uh, uh, so recent that uh, the report, there was a report that was actually just released um, uh, August, I think it was. Yeah. And now wow. they're still trying to contemplate how are we going to deal with this now and, you know, like, what are the expected outcomes of this, right? So um, 
with regards to that. So they would have went through their internal investigations at the hospital, and that report that was released, it was it included a panel of uh, elders and I think people from Six Nations and also staff at yeah. the hospital. So that would have uh, yeah. been that would have been come out um, that would have came out with some recommendations uh, with it, you know, like in, in terms of where to go yeah. forward. But I, I think there's so, some more work to be done on that. Oh, there's lots of work to be done on so many yeah. areas in so many ways. Eh? That's what I'm, that's what I think in the time that we have left here, Doug. I think looking at you know this, you've painted a pretty good picture for our listeners to understand just how pervasive this, um, I'll use your words, unconscious biases, right, um, that people make assumptions about people of not of First Nations, not just First Nations, but people of color and, and LGBTQ2S plus members. Um, everybody's sort of been the victim of this unconscious bias, which, which, you know, people have to start to wake up. And it isn't until you start having these kinds of cases come forward where people die and then suddenly, you know, now you're in the news and now, you know, the truth is coming out and, 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 and it's like people have to sort of start looking, well, what, how did that happen? Like, what is your role? How, how were, you know, how did you contribute to that or not contribute to that situation? So do you think it's ever going to be resolved? Like these kinds of stories and these kinds of situations have been going on for a long, long time. It's just that they're coming out more and more in the news and, you know, and, and th- bless, blessings to the people, you know, and who have lost their lives be- for the betterment. I think like their stories, that lady's video, right, in the Quebec case, help push the issue to the surface. Do you think it's ever going to be resolved that people are going to wake up and start looking at different kinds of services and working more in partnership with Native people? Do you think there's, there's in your lifetime, are you going to see that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was hoping in my young lifetime, I was hoping that I would see it in this lifetime, but I really, <laughs> yeah. um, really, you know, like, I'm going to be 60 years old pretty soon. And, you know, like, and, and when I reflect back on my lifetime, I've seen some uh, movement, right? Because I grew up, I grew up in, in my young life, I grew up in a time where, where um, uh, prejudice was uh, pretty blatant out there in public. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and you know, like in my, it. It, yeah, it, it still is, but uh you know, like people, people uh, don't talk about it like they used to. You know, like where they just came out and um, just, you know, like said things un, un, you know, like unashamed of what they're saying to you a long time ago. You know, like where they would just uh, right, right from school age. You know, like where they would call you names that we don't, we don't, we don't usually hear them anymore. But they're out there. You know, like they would call you Wahoo or Wagon Burner. You know. So these were these were <laughs> yeah. racisms and racisms that were perpetuated yeah. uh, through through media even right from cartoons right into public school uh, and then and then we this is these are things that we have to live live with eh? and yeah uh, so are, is and, it better then, do you think it's better than when than those well, things I, you I grew up with see I don't know if it's better if I'm just or if I'm not concentrating on those things anymore because you go through a process of healing. Um, yeah. And then you shift your yeah, thought process and what you focus on, right? Um, yeah. but, however, 
I am seeing a lot more uh, allyship is what I call it. Allyship um, oh, where okay, you good. have non-Indigenous. Yeah, yeah. So you have non-Indigenous people who are um, trying to uh, stand up and create, you know, like uh, these changes on behalf of Indigenous people, right? Because they themselves recognize uh, the importance of moving forward with all this. So I've seen uh, a large group, you know, like um, move into uh, those positions, you know, like although there needs to be a, a lot more people doing it. Um, growing mm-hmm. up in the First Nations community, I see that our own people within First Nations communities have a lot of work that they still have to do on themselves. Uh, although healing and wellness and has been around for years now, uh, um, and I recall you, Diane, have been working in the healing and wellness and created a healing and wellness model um, out there, uh, and, and you've been doing that now for, for what, like three, four, five decades. And <laughs> yeah. So you're, and, yeah. And, and you're, yeah, and you're only, you're only now seeing, you know, like uh, more and more people, mm-hmm. albeit it's usually the women that are coming coming into larger groups to uh, to who recognizing that they want to heal, you know, like uh, in terms of uh, in terms of what they're seeing and what they're feeling and what they're experiencing within their communities and within their families and what they're seeing within their own children, um, and so they don't want to do that. They don't want to carry that that trauma and that pain forward. But they also know that 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 trauma and pain has been there so long that they're likely to be um, um, healing for the rest of their life. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. when these things come up for them, eh? Yeah. And so I, I think, I think that uh, that's like a taking a look at things in a micro way, and then I and I take a look at uh, the hospital settings where you have uh, many, many people coming through the doors, you know, like from various different walks of life, and and I, I ask myself quite often, you know, like I wonder if these people understand indigenous the concepts of indigenous healing and wellness. Um, even if I drop the indigenous part of it, and I, we talk about we talk about healing and wellness in terms of spirit. Mm-hmm. If I bring even the concept of spirit, it's totally uh, you know like other than other than um, isolating it towards say a spiritual event, you like going to church on Sunday um, mm-hmm. and adhering to maybe some of the like if you're a Christian, adhering to some of the biblical practices within within the book, but actually living within the concept of uh, making spirit as a part of who you are and reflecting on it and, and, and revolving your whole life around that energy because you mm-hmm. know that that energy is the thing that's going to fuel the healing and the wellness within the whole system right out to the physical body, right, and then beyond. Yeah. And, and those conversations just aren't happening here. So everything is really very physically, you know, like physically based, physically motivated. Um, like I said, it's like evidence-based, seeing is believing. Um, you know, like spirituality is not anything that we learned. We're not comfortable with it. It's nice that few people practice that, but, you know, like um, um, it's something, yeah. you know, like that, that I wouldn't want to deal with in my everyday work is what I'm hearing uh, kind of uh, yeah. these things. I, I I've already I've also heard non-Indigenous people go through uh, maybe uh, you know a little bit of um, education with regards to some of the 
um, issues that uh, Indigenous people have faced in their history. And um, so they'll listen to you, but there's no life experience for them. There's no feeling. Um, there's yeah. no there's no spiritual connection to all that. You, you'll see some of them, they'll feel it because they can resonate uh, that experience maybe to something that their family has gone through uh, where they're from and they're in another another time kind of thing, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah. generally with Canada, people are so disconnected that it's really hard for them to really connect to that, the the spirit. And, and if you can't connect to the spirit, how are you ever going to be able to tell the truth? kind of thing, right? Because <laughs> yeah. because truth yeah. telling is all because, about um, who we are as Yes. Yeah. As native so people well, as who native. you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so And so, so you can't connect to the truth, how can you begin to reconcile things? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well I'm really you know like sorry that that happened to your people. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it, it's still distant, right? I can't relate, but you know uh, uh, but I'm sorry, you, you know, like they, they'll, they'll apologize, but um, uh, I don't know what they're apologizing yeah. for. They're apologizing for history, and then, and uh, uh, you know, like that might be a guilt conscious. I don't know, but uh, um, but um, someday that'll be a really good conversation when people are actually ready to sit in circle and really talk truthfully about all these situations and these <laughs> systems. Now. Yeah. Now I do. What I, when, now when I meet with the managers and the vice presidents within the hospital, they're supposed to be just sort of like a, a very quick meetings. Um, my very first month that I was here, they were they were quick meetings just to get to know me and get to get the, I'm, to say hello and I'm getting to know them type of thing. Uh, because I'm 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 getting older now and I've already I already know how the systems work. I took advantage. I said, well, I could sit here and make small talk with you or I can tell you about my vision. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they were quite, they were all quite open to hearing my vision. Oh yeah, like tell me what your vision is, and I would tell them, uh, you know, like, wouldn't it be great if I could come into the yeah. the doors of the hospital and I could be received with kindness, and there would be yeah. kindness, love and kindness emanating off of everybody in the hospital who is here to take care of business. And wouldn't it be nice if I had a choice to see a doctor and and wouldn't it be nice if I had a choice of what kind of medicine that the doctor is prescribing after he took time to or she took time to be able to talk to me and find out you know like maybe some of yeah. the, what's really going on you know like in my world and wouldn't it be nice if that doctor also gave me an option to to uh, to take traditional medicines or consult with an indigenous healers who actually work in the hospital <laughs> You know, like they're yeah. not disconnected from the whole system itself. And I says, uh, and wouldn't it be nice if we had our own ceremonial space where we didn't have to share those with any other any other people? You know, like and I said, and and we've got a maternal child healthcare room here in the hospital. But wouldn't it be nice if I could bring in my most sacred items because that's the most sacred time when new life enters this world and we can have those ceremonies right here at the hospital and invite all of the family system in all of the all of the clans of that child that new spirit coming in and we have a, we have the naming you know like and and uh, the family is witnessing the birth of the child and accepting that child in love and kindness and introducing themselves you know like to 
to all of their and their and their responsibility right at that time. I said, wouldn't that be nice? And going through all of these, helping Indigenous people through all of these 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 rites of passage right up to death and and helping them uh, die in dignity and respect using their own cultural practices and not out of fear and supporting them and the family through these processes. I said, I said, all of this, wouldn't that just really be nice if everybody just kind of like was able to support each other and got along like that. So Beautiful. that's what I, that's, that's kind of like what I do in terms of uh, well, sharing the visit of the hospital. Yeah. 